Trees play an essential role in regulating our environment. So why would something so good need specialist legal representation? Hello everyone and welcome to the Risk Acumen podcast which offers thoughtful insight around risk management. Now trees are incredibly important. They literally keep us all breathing, regulate the temperature of our planet and can even make us feel better. But, but trees also have a troublesome side, <laughs> don't we all? And uh, today I'm joined by someone who knows a lot about the risks the trees and foliage can bring, lawyer Sarah Dodd, who is the founder of a company called Tree Law Limited. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi there, Johnny. Thanks very much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. And our conversation today is going to cover both the risks that trees present, and also the benefits they bring bring us all. And I think right from the outset, I'd like to mention how you describe yourself, Sarah. You are <laughs> the self-styled tree-hugging lawyer, of course. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> which, which for me just creates all kinds of questions, uh, which is a good thing. So mm-hmm. let's start with the lawyer bit first. Tell me, what, what's your legal background? Well, I've been a lawyer for about 22 years, I think. I trained with the NHS Legal Services in Wales um, and then went on to spend around 20 years post-qualification in corporate law firms. So I was in Eversheds for 14 years and then DAC Beechcroft for around six years. Yeah, two big Um, names. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And in both of those firms, I was working for large UK household insurers and some uh, utility providers as well, uh, dealing with claims involving damage to properties or or damage to underground uh, or overground infrastructure. And it was from DAC Beechcroft that I went then to set my own business up and that launched in November 21. Yeah, so that that damage that you talked about, you kind of ended up specialising in in trees. And I guess from, from the tree hugging part that tells yeah. me that they also mean a lot to you and uh, yeah. we'll, we'll we'll get back to that soon but let's let's talk about the dark side mm-hmm. <laughs> of of trees and vegetation first and, and and tell me a little bit more about what, what kind of damage and, and infringement they can cause well they're quite multifaceted so when I tell people I've set up tree law they say oh that's quite niche and then you know, and I think when you delve into it, you realize how wide it is. Yeah. So in terms of the damage that trees can cause, if you live in or around London, you'll be well aware of the risk of trees causing subsidence damage to properties. That's when uh, roots grow underneath the foundations, remove moisture from the soil and cause the property to crack. Then there's also trees falling over. Uh, that could be in a storm or it could not be in a storm. You know, a tree could be diseased and, and just fail um, yeah. and fall, perhaps fall onto a property or fall onto a road. Uh, there could be a boundary dispute between neighbours with a tree, tree's branches overhanging a boundary, for example, blocking out light, causing damage to a boundary wall just by its roots growing into the wall. You know, trees could be protected by planning law with tree preservation orders or a tree could be in a conservation area or in a triple SI area. Uh, it can involve things to do with, you know, wider things to do with planning, such as trees being removed and new developments to be built. 
So yeah, those, and also it goes into the criminal law as well, All right. which is um, a little bit different to deal with both both sorts. So that that's really where you're start where you're seeing people infringing things like the protections that are on a tree, such as um, illegally removing a tree with a tree preservation order on it, for example. Um, that's a that's a crime. Yeah. So yeah, I can see what you mean in terms of it. It sounds narrow at first, but it really does cover a whole vast area. And then there was quite a lot of um, claims last year. There were. So last year was a big event year for subsidence cases. Yeah. Um, probably comes as no surprise when the temperatures in the UK topped out at 40 degrees for the first time ever. It was a very hot and dry summer, so that led to a real surge in subsidence claims. And and, and there's an irony in that almost, isn't there? That, that, that links perfectly back to to the not to the dark side, but the, to the light side of, of trees. You know, we, we've established there how, how hazardous they can be, but, mm. but putting your tree hugging hat on for a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, why, why should we all be protective and appreciative of trees, Sarah? Oh, for lots of reasons. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that environmental one is 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 a key part, isn't it? In terms of the the rising temperatures that we saw last year, resulting in trees causing damage. But ironically, they they, they play a part in regulating the temperature, don't they? Exactly, and that's the sort of unique contradiction that these sorts of claims have. Yeah. So canopy cover in urban areas is incredibly important. You know, one of the one of the ecosystem services, as they're called, that trees provide mm-hmm. is simply shade. Right. And if we're going to have hotter and drier summers, in the shade of a tree, the summer temperature could be up to, I think it's about eight or nine degrees centigrade lower than outside of the shade of the tree. Yeah. So simply put, there's going to be parts of the UK which in years to come are going to absolutely have to have canopy cover in order for them to be habitable. So certainly trees in cities are of increasing importance for that and also for other reasons. Yeah, fascinating. What about this thing, green bathing as well? I mentioned in the introduction that trees can actually be quite good for you. This is something I, oh, yeah. I only came across recently. Yeah. Trees can actually help us deal with stress and are good for our overall health and well-being, aren't they? Absolutely. And I think that's something that a lot of people who perhaps didn't give them a second thought actually realised when we were living through the COVID pandemic and going out for a walk was really all that we could do. Yeah. But there's been wider studies carried out. And, you know, this is always the subject of, um, I was going to say investigation, but, you know, subject of study. There's something called green equity, where it can be shown that if you live in a green, you know, a leafy area, you're more likely to be employed, be employed in a, you know, in a higher paying job. Um, have less mental health issues, less physical health issues, yeah. so, um, less crime. So yeah, they they really do bring um, something unique. It's very interesting to hear about those studies. So when when you when you when you're doing your your legal thing, your lawyer thing, I guess you must come across situations where the obvious answer seems to be, well, remove the the vegetation, remove the the trees, but that 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 must really conflict with you in terms of how you, how you feel about you know the the, the benefits that the that the trees are actually bringing to us all. Yeah, and you know I think one of the one of the interesting parts of what I'm doing is 
it's certainly not formulaic. You know, every, every situation has got to be looked at individually. There's no doubt that there are some situations in which trees have to be removed. You know, if a tree is at risk of failure and it's a health and safety risk and, you know, worst case scenario, it could fall and it could kill somebody, mm-hmm. then nobody would argue with the fact that if, you know, if that's too high a risk, that that tree needs to be removed. Yeah. But But I think my thoughts are that in other cases where there's tree versus damage to a property, it really needs to be looked at in greater detail to move away from the more well-trodden path of, oh, we think it could be the tree, so let's just get that out quickly and then we'll have another look and see if that solved the problem. Yeah. Um, I just don't think we can we can do that. I guess a simple solution is if you have to remove that tree for health and safety reasons, if you, as you've said, why not simply replace it as well as part of the part of the process yeah yeah and that's a that's another hot topic as well there um <laughs> Tell me about it. No, it all is it's 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 just so so intricate which makes it just so interesting you know i, mm. I love it um <laughs> i think our first our first um presumption has got to be that we're going to try and retain as many trees as we can and the older the tree is you know ancient and veteran trees for example you know there should be an awful lot of focus on retaining those because although you can replant to replace trees that have gone Mm -hmm. that can be you know that can be very difficult to do i actually i'll ask you a question now johnny so i was at a um an event hosted by the arboricultural association um just a you watching it on youtube yeah and there was somebody on there who asked the audience how many five-year-old oak trees do you think would need to be planted to replace one ancient oak mm. and threw that out to the audience so what do you think how many interesting so five-year-old oak mm. to replace one of what age an ancient oak an so ancient i'm actually oak, not so sure what what yeah. age bracket that would be but yeah yeah old yeah okay I don't know, I would say what, 10, 15, something like that. Mm-hmm. It's 3,062. What? <laughs> yeah. 3,062, yeah. And then the, also it gets more um, eye-watering when when you realise that actually if the, the tree that's been taken down, the timber mm. is burned, which it often is, yeah. that number then doubles. So then you're getting into sort of over 6,000. So then it really starts painting a picture of actually is chopping down, replacing, is that even feasible? I mean, we live on a relatively small island where we're pushed for space and we're in a housing crisis and trying to, you know, it's, it's, it just, you just gives you a real idea of how impossible that really is. Yeah. I mean, you know, take away, you know, a a, a big ancient tree, as you, as you've mentioned, and basically what you're saying is you've got to plant a forest to, to replace it. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. You do make a contribution though yourself, don't you? In terms of before everyone starts thinking, oh, (laughs) the lawyer's only in it for the money. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. The business is, you know, I wanted to create a business that was going to align with the values of what I was trying to achieve. So, and again, you know, there's political elements to this. So I would ask all your sort of keen listeners to give me some grace with that. But we have 
carbon footprint of the business. So being through a decarbonisation uh, assessment, mm-hmm. worked out what the carbon footprint of the business is, yeah. um, reduce that where possible, and then offset the remaining footprint where not possible. And I know that offsets that can be pretty political. Um, and as well as that, we also, uh, at the end of cases, contribute a small amount of the profits from that case to the client's choice of environmental charity. So right. really, really small things, you know, really small. But, you know, hopefully as the business grows, those commitments will also grow. So so trees can play a part in that in that offsetting that you're talking about, yeah? They can. Offsetting, again, is a tricky one. Um, a tree can play a, play a part in offsetting, but yeah. it has to be a tree that would be over and above what would be there if the land were in its natural state. Um, and that's difficult because we live in the UK where our natural state would have been a deciduous, you know, deciduous woodland. Right. So it's going to be difficult to plant something within the UK necessary that could create a carbon credit i think other things could such you know other sorts of things within the uk could do that but i'm not sure how successful tree planting is to create a pure carbon credit okay i might be wrong but that's my understanding Interesting. yeah like all things uh and i mean everybody from the kind of risk and the risk management world will understand this when i say it nothing's ever as simple <laughs> as it may first appear and you've got to get down to the detail of this haven't you yeah and there's a danger isn't there around greenwashing and all of that side of things as well that it's very easy for people to say oh well i've planted a few trees i've done my bit i'm i'm environmentally friendly yeah and you know we're going to start seeing well we're already seeing increasing greenwash litigation so you know, you've got big environmental legal entities um such as a group client earth who yeah. will look around globally and hold large global corporates to account where they yeah. feel that, you know, declarations being made to them are incorrect or even misleading. So this is a, a new and a, an emerging risk in, in a sense that organisations will have to be careful with, that they're, they're not falling into that trap mm. um, that, that could, be, be, could be set for them, yeah. That, that's right, because I think environmental declarations tend to, well, should be coming from exact level. They mm-hmm. should be coming from the top down. And I think if you're going to do any sort of declaration or advertise or anything like that, it should be something that is definitely run past your, you know, your sustainability people, your ESG team, to make sure that it's it's robust and accurate and not misleading in any way. Which is great, isn't it? Because it means that, that, that there is going to be real substance to to anything like that if 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 people are looking at it in the in in the correct way and it is likely to have a true impact yes yeah yeah so in terms of who who you're seeking to get the message out to i guess insurers are 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 a strong audience for you sarah because of your your connections and links Mm. through to them um so so what 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 kind of message are you wanting to carry to them currently that's a good question and i think there are three parties involved in any one of my claims, and there only ever used to be two. So yeah. when I was acting for insurance companies, I'd be acting for insurance companies. I would largely be bringing a claim yeah, in early discussions with a local authority tree owner, and it was just the two of us, insurance company versus tree owner. But we're all starting to see that these tree cases get the headlines. Um, you know, there's 
stuff in the newspapers relatively regularly about issues with trees, local authorities chopping down trees or developers chopping them down. And the important third party that's come into the equation is is the general public and the tree protester groups. So I would think my key point to make is that I think there should be open discussion between insurers, tree owners, whether that's a local authority or other sort of landowner, and also the public. And I think the Environment Act that launched back in November 21 is going to be a good basis for that. But I think we've got some bumpy times ahead. But I think that that open discussion is essential. Fantastic. And what about risk managers within organisations who maybe, you know, weren't weren't aware until our conversation Mm. (laughs) that there was such a wide scope and so many hazards and risks associated with with trees what what what, what's your recommended approach for for them Mm. to take that's a great one because subsidence and climate change are really hand in hand and i think of it as one of the only insured perils that perhaps do go hand in hand but actually i need to you know i need to stop myself there because i think flooding probably does a little this pipes do and also we're starting to see wildfires as well so, so those do But what I would say is that my understanding is that insurance risk tends to be based on patterns that have happened in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, insurers will have maps where you could probably put in a postcode and, you know, the computer would say it's too high a risk in this area. We don't want to offer cover or we do, but at a higher price or we do, but with subsidence removed. Yeah. But I think what climate change throws up is that things are changing on a year by year basis, you know, as I said last year, we topped out at 40 degrees for the first time ever. You know, what's going to happen this year? Are we going to top out at 40 degrees again? Are we going to, you know, it's so it's it's almost that risk assessment isn't going to be very accurate if it's done looking backwards. It needs to be done looking forwards into the future. But obviously, we can't look into the future because it hasn't arrived yet. Yeah. So. There's a lot of work being done by data scientists, modeling, you know, what they think is going to happen with climate change, Mm -hmm. where temperatures are going to go up and, you know, where, where you might see hot temperatures in areas we haven't seen them before and actually soils that haven't been problematic in those areas before because the temperatures haven't been high enough and now going to start seeing claims such as subsidence. So, you can see if you if you chart maps of the UK and things like true subsidence, you can see those maps showing claims moving north. I had a conversation with somebody in Yorkshire last week saying that they're starting to see quite a few subsidence claims. And you know, it's not their bread and butter. So they they need to find out more about them. Yeah. Whereas in London they've been they've been on the go f- since nineteen seventy six. So it's almost your message seems to be don't don't just try and avoid the problem, but try mm. and become part of the the solution mm. and understand the contribution that the trees trees can make around this and other measures around environmental threats and sustainability as yeah. well, and be 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 part of that. Certainly, and you know that's absolutely not easy at all. Um, and it's very difficult to, you know, so when you speak to insurers or, or any one of the parties involved in this and, you know, they ask, well, how, you know, what do you propose and how will we do it? Yeah. And it's a it's a very 
difficult question to answer. Where is that expertise, Sarah? Where, you know, who who would you be turning to for a question about? Yeah, to understand, you know, wh- how we can tackle this uh, this ever growing problem. Mm. Because, as you say, it is very political as well in, in many respects. Mm. So, where, where, who, who, are, who are the who are the genuine, honest, good guys, experts? <laughs> well, would, would you say here? I mean, I, d- I don't want to mention the government, but they are doing, you know, there are an awful lot of tree-based policies that are happening at the moment. There's a lot going on at the same time. So as I mentioned earlier, we've got the Environment Act, yeah, which is live, but we're waiting for parts of it to be enacted. And those parts that are going to be of relevance here are the duty to consult part, which means mm-hmm. that if a local authority tree owner wants to remove a tree, they actually now now have to put that out to public consultation. Yeah. Rather than just being able to negotiate with the insurance company and agree to take it down. Uh, you've got the biodiversity net gain, which is also set out in the Environment Act. So that's for developers to make sure that if they do, you know, they have to leave the development site in a, in a state which has got a, a percentage biodiversity gain whether that's on-site or or off-site. There's the England Tree Action Plan. There's uh, the London Tree Officers Association are doing work on an evidence strategy. There's a new valuation system for trees. We've got the task force of nature-related financial disclosures, which which is going to be coming at us over the horizons, you know, in the next couple of years. So there's, there's an awful lot going on. It's a it's a minefield, isn't it? To to a certain extent, but it's an education piece. Therefore, it's about research, isn't it? And and understanding um, a the magnitude of the of the problem and and b the the complexity of what what's involved in in trying to trying to solve that problem. It is, and I I think I I almost think that the only place that we can start is to start measuring. Yeah. Um, I've been talking to businesses in the past about starting on a decarbonization journey. So measuring, you know, your scope one, two, and three emissions. So you're basically measuring your carbon footprint. Yeah. Because processes have got a carbon footprint. I mean, we're we're all aware that driving your car, turning your heating on, those, you know, flying in a plane, those have got a footprint. But a process has also got a carbon footprint. Retaining data on a server has got a carbon footprint as well as coming out and I don't know, installing some underpinning to a property. But I think the good place to start is to start measuring what that footprint is, measure the footprint of the process that we've currently got, um, and then start looking at whether there are some quick and easy changes that can be made to bring that number down, and then looking into the future about how that number can be brought even further down. Because we all need to hit um, net zero. That, I mean, that's an inevitability. We have to, whether yeah. we do it intentionally or whether nature makes us do it, it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so I think starting with that measuring, and I've likened it to a post-Christmas weigh-in before, you're going to get on the scales and the number's going to be high and you're going to think, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> but you need to start there to work out how to start bringing it down again. Yeah. And that, that's doing your bit, isn't it, as well? It, it, it's, 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 it's thinking about the contribution that you can make rather than just getting overwhelmed by the, the bigger picture and the overall problem. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. Anything else, Sarah, that you'd like to, to add or get across? 
I don't think there's there's almost like so much that can be said in this area. It's um yeah. It's difficult to know the the bits to really highlight. I think there's an awful lot of expertise out there in terms of as I was saying like data scientists, data modeling mm-hmm. um and being able to model patterns into the future about, you know, where properties may be more susceptible to damage and to really be able to pick out those ones that are at extreme risk and leave the ones alone that are sort of, you know, in a green or even an amber area. Yeah. But there are some there's some great resources out there. So if anybody is, you know, if anybody's a listener and worried about perhaps their house suffering damage as a result of a tree themselves, mm-hmm. then there's places you can look for information. So the uh, Financial Ombudsman Service has got a great piece on subsidence on their website, uh, the likes of the Woodland Trust, um, the London Tree Officers Association, there's the Subsidence Forum as well. So there's lots of free resources out there with information if anyone wants to do some uh, research of their own. Fantastic. Well, that's great, Sarah. It's been uh, it's been wonderful talking to you. I'm off to I'm off to hug a tree myself now. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. You'll feel better for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll do a bit of green bathing as well yes. when I'm there. Brilliant. But no, thanks again, Sarah. Um, wonderful stuff and, 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 and best of luck with everything. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. And uh, that's it for this episode of the Risk Acumen podcast. If you have any questions or comments around the topic we've discussed today or any of our other risk-related content, please head to our LinkedIn page. You can find a link at riskacumen.co.uk. Thanks everyone for listening in and until the next time, goodbye for now.